Did you know that three out of four people in the United States don't feel like they belong? Three out of four. Three out of four. Three out of four, right? Feel like they don't belong in the United States. Can you believe that? That shocked me. Three out of four people do not feel like they belong. 60% of Americans feel more lonely and disconnected than ever. 60% of adults and Americans feel more lonely, more lonely and disconnected. Crazy thing is, there's a good chunk of those that are teenagers that feel lonely and disconnected. 47% of people feel left out. One out of four feel like no one understands me. No one understands me. People today feel more rejected, insignificant. Life doesn't matter, and I'm overlooked. And I wonder if this morning if any of us have ever felt any one of those things. Rejected, insignificant, life doesn't matter, I'm overlooked. I'm left out. I don't belong. With that, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 1. So we dig into a beautiful story in the Bible here, Genesis 16, starting in verse 1, which will also be on the screen, 16, verse 1. Here we go. Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. So Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she became to treat her mistress, Sarah, with content. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with content. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated her harshly so that she ran away. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, untamed like a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. And she said, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kedesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. 
Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And so this morning as we start to break down this story, it's kind of a crazy and interesting story, as there are many in the Bible. As we know that, you know, it's one thing that as we look at the Bible, if we were to write about our life, many people, when you decide to write about your life, you would make two decisions. Am I going to give him the whole truth, or am I going to give him half of the truth? Am I going to give him all the, the good things that I did, or am I going to include some of my mistakes as well? And one of the things that you can be confident in the Bible and like in the Bible is that God, when he recorded the people, their lives, they didn't live perfect lives. There was real horrible situations that are in here. Why? They're real, real real people and these are real problems and these are real situations that happened thousands of years ago and so this morning as we break down this story the first thing we see is there's a lady named sarah turn to your neighbor and say ah sarah she wanted one thing and she one thing that she wanted was something that that many people want she wanted a baby ah she wanted a baby she wanted not only a baby she wanted a baby boy because in this day, babies, little boys, little girls, they were considered wealth. They brought you happiness, of course, as they do today. But this is, when you were to give birth and have a boy, the boy, the firstborn male, would carry on the name of the family. The firstborn male would bring and live out and get the inheritance and take care of the family for that generation. A firstborn male, a male, a baby, was extremely important. And so for her at this time, she was 75 years old. Now, I'm looking forward to meeting, when me and Kim are 75. We'll see what we can pop out. But she was 75 years old, 75 years old. I'm not too sure when you're 75 if you're thinking about those things. But at 75, Sarah was thinking about, I have not yet had a baby. And, and honestly, she had a good reason to because you know why? God promised her a boy. God promised her a boy. So she had every reason to be thinking and wondering and longing at 75. They left their house at 65. So they've been traveling for 10 years. They've been on the road for 10 years. And they were promised descendants. So many descendants like the stars and the sand on the sea, all those things. And so there was one thing that she deeply wanted. And now probably feels like I deserve because God told me I should have this. But after 10 years of waiting, <sighs> looks like maybe, looks like maybe I need to help. Because how many of us know, oh man, when we're waiting for something, is it not extremely tough when you're waiting, waiting to be picked up? Waiting for the next paycheck, waiting for a friend to arrive, waiting for the meal to get to the table when we're hungry and starving and I'm going to kill somebody. It is one of the hardest things we do as people is wait. And so for Sarah, waiting 10 years, it became too long. Where she said, you know what? Ah, maybe God needs a little help. Maybe God needs a little help. And I'm sure none of us have ever jumped in and forced something to happen. I'm sure all of us, we are perfectly patient, wonderful, kind people who never force anything at all to happen. So Sarah decides, ah, I think God needs one of my, he needs my help. So what does she do? She says, I'm going to give one of my maidservants, Hagar, to my husband. 
And I don't know about you, this happened thousands of years ago. If this was to happen today, it probably wasn't a good idea back, back then. It's not a good idea today, right? But, and we know the dummy husband, what did he say? Ah, sounds good. All right. Check the box. Right? I'm in. But for this family, Abraham and Sarah, they found out quickly, you know, when you make a wrong choice, when you make a wrong decision, you know, first thing she says, look what you did. Abram, it's all your fault, and look how I am treated. Instantly, instantly, she knew the choice was wrong. Instantly, Sarah knew this was not right. Instantly, she knew. Instantly, after she gives her, her friend to her husband, she knew this was wrong. Look how I'm mistreated. She's being mean to me. She's being cruel to me. She's being unfair to me. Look at this girl. So Abram says, you know what? Because he loved his wife. We'll do with her whatever you want. You want to take her out back? Go ahead and take her out back. You want to get a shovel? I don't care. It's your, it's your person, right? So she decides to start treating her like she's worthless. Mm. Despised. She started treating Hagar like she was beneath Sarah, like she should be judged. And honestly, if you think about Hagar in this situation, this poor lady, what did she do? I mean, could she have said no? This was their employee. This was the boss, the jefe, right? So could Hagar have said no? Probably not. So all she did was do what she was told to do, but she did make one step wrong. She started treating Sarah badly when she became pregnant. Even though she did what she was supposed to do, her attitude became staunchy and gross. So Hagar was treated bad. So what did she do when you treated bad? Let's run away, right? And let's blame our husband, because that's the best thing to do. Let's... Blame husband. Abram, this is all your fault. So after she blames her husband, says it's all his fault, then she runs away. And while she runs away, interestingly enough, she runs into an angel. You know, there's many people today that run from many situations. There's many people, young and old, who run away from hard times, good times, bad feelings, good feelings. And sometimes running away, there's a lot to be said about where you run to. She ran into the wilderness. Wilderness in the Bible, a place of testing, a place of trials. She runs, and where does she run into? She runs into an angel. Many think this could have been Jesus, but she runs into this angel, this angel of light, and she speaks with the angel. What are you doing, Hagar? Where are you going? So she tells them the story. She gives them the sob story, and they both share Kleenex because it's sad and it's tragic and it's horrible how she's being treated. Interestingly enough, I think the angel, one of the first things he says to her is, you know what? Go back and submit. <sighs> what? The angel of the Lord didn't, like, say, hey, keep on running, girl. You got this, right? Now that you're running, now that you're a free bird, keep it going. Go, 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 go. The angels shared some truth in this situation, which is the hardest truth to accept. I want you to go back and submit. 
to the person who doesn't like you, to the person who hates you. I want you to go back and submit to this person who wants to probably kill you. I want you to go home, and I want you to submit. Hagar, hearing, this is what God wants me to do. The truth, in a very hard, desperate situation. Jesus, you know, when he was here, Jesus also said some very hard things at hard times. When Jesus ran into people who were stuck in sin, when Jesus healed people, when Jesus cleansed people, he would help people, he would love people, but he also would give them very hard truth at the same time. I'm healing you, I'm saving you, I'm delivering you, but go sin no more. He said, stop. In this story, the angel had the same message for Hagar, which is not the easiest message to accept. He could have said, and many of us in here, if we were to take a poll and we ran into Hagar down the road and she was telling us her whole sob story, many of us would say the same thing. You got a right to run. You keep on running. Many of us would have done the opposite. We would have said the opposite. And that's why today, if you look around, kids... A large portion of those kids, three out of four who don't belong, who are lonely, more depressed, guess what? Between 18 and 25, a large, massive number of young adults are lost. And you know why they're lost? Because many parents gave the opposite advice of what this angel did right here. They said, ah, I know you're having a hard time. I know you're having a bad day. Just keep running. Be a free bird and run. Running is not always the answer and solution, unless you're in a marathon or unless you're in the jogathon. Running is not the solution unless that's what you're paid to do. But we as humans, have you ever noticed from the beginning of time, the minute something becomes difficult, I'm Forrest Gump, I'm out of here, right? I am running. Because that's what we do as humans, we run. What was the message of truth spoken in a moment that instantly corrected her heart? You go back and you submit and you're gonna do the right thing. You go back, you do this, and you submit to the woman who hates you, the woman who mistreats you, the woman who wants to kill you. You go back and submit. And so I asked this morning, you know, if, again, if we were to take a poll and we were to ask, you know, how many of us would have said the exact same thing? If it was our daughter, if it was our son, we probably wouldn't have said the same thing as the angel, right? We wouldn't have. Let's be honest. Because we're more caring. You know, 6,000 years later as people, we're more caring today than they were back then. We're more nicer. We're happier-go-lucky. We drink happy milk from happy cows in California, right? So we're just different. If you read people from the beginning of time until today, hearts and emotions haven't changed. We as people, we have, not, we have not evolved into this greater being. We're not all floating this morning. I mean, maybe in our minds we're floating, but physically we're not. We're sitting, we're standing. We are not evolved into this. We're not. Why? Because we're still the same people that God created in the very, very beginning. And as people, there are words that we need to hear at the right time and the right moment that aren't very nice. They don't sound very good. But how did she accept these words? 
You know what she said? Wow. I know there's a God who sees me. What? She was just told to go back and submit to a woman who hated her guts. And how did Hagar respond? I know God sees me. There was a girl one time Jesus was talking to at the well. And as he was talking to her, it's an odd story from beginning to end because one, men don't talk to women they're not married to back in this day. They didn't hang out and had long conversations. So Jesus, we know he wasn't married. We know he was never tempted and gave into sin, so don't let your mind go to places it shouldn't. He walks to the well the midday. You don't go to the well at the midday. One, it's hot. How many of us, if we're going to do something, we're going to choose to do when it's cooler? When am I going to mow the yard? When it's cooler. When am I going to pick up trash, do weeding? When it's cooler. I'm not going to go out at 12 when it's 112 degrees, right? When the sun's beating down. Jesus went to the well at 12 o'clock. He had a specific meeting that he wanted to go to. And it was with a woman who was embarrassed, isolated, didn't feel like she, she didn't feel like she belonged anywhere. And they start having a conversation about physical things and spiritual things. And so as this conversation goes on, Jesus says, well, why don't you go back and get your husband? She's like, ah, I don't have one. He goes, ah, I know. That's because you've had five. You lucky dog. No, he didn't say that. He said, just because you've had five. And the guy you're living with now, you're not married to. When she hears this truth... She didn't flip out, slap him in the face. She didn't run away. Said, Man, you are God. And that's the same thing that Hagar said in this situation. When she heard a truth, and Jesus wasn't saying that to compliment her. He wasn't. Jesus wasn't saying and paying the woman at the will a compliment. He was giving a very specific truth. That you know what? Here's the thing. She carried around things that were heavy in her heart. Because we don't know. Somebody could have died from this. Somebody could have happened this. So there was reasons that there was more than one husband, right? And so Jesus said something, and it wasn't to hurt her. It wasn't to reprimand her, correct her, spank her. He said something, a truth that only he would know. As he said this, she says, light bulb. This guy is not just a man, he's God. And the truth that he just shared, it didn't make me feel weird and uncomfortable. It didn't make me feel like hurting somebody. The truth that he just said, it made me feel like there's somebody out there listening. And so in this story, Hagar runs to this angel. She hears something that she didn't want to hear. But she says her feelings and her emotions all become into check. And she says... I've met the God who sees me. We started this morning with some statistics. People today, more than ever, don't feel like they're seen. They don't feel like they're heard. They don't feel like they belong. They're more lonely. They're more depressed. They have more anxiety than ever. They feel unconnected, insignificant. Why? Because many people in our world don't feel seen and they don't feel heard. So turn to your neighbor and say, you do feel seen and heard this morning. And, and honestly, you know, we can say anything, but when we're standing in front of the mirror, when we're living our daily lives, only God knows truly what's in your heart, mind, and soul. And so if we were to ask ourselves five things, five things from this story, 
I want us to ask, which do I relate to this morning? What do I more feel that I agree with what I feel this morning? And the first one is, is there one thing in my life that is driving me? Is there one thing, one desire that is driving me this morning? Is there a desire for money? If there is a desire for pleasure, if there is a desire to accomplish something, is there a desire for a future plan and goal? Is there a desire for a person? Is there a desire for a toy or a hobby? If this morning, like Sarah, the lady in our story, there was one thing driving her, I want a baby boy. Is there anything this morning, one thing, one thing that keeps you up at night? One thing that keeps your eyes open and your ears open, keeps your head turning around? Is there anything driving you? You not driving you. One thing that is driving you this morning, just like one thing that was driving Sarah. Psalms 24, Psalms 20, verse 4 says, May God grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. And may we shout for joy when we hear a victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all your prayers. And so this morning, if any of us are stuck on one thing, this morning, if any of us are just being driven and it's really hard and it's really tough and there's just one thing more desperate than anything that I want, this one thing, God and his words say, you know what? Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Keep on believing. And if the one thing that you're believing for, if there's one thing that is driving you, you know what's going to happen? God eventually is going to answer you or God's going to change the desire. Because sometimes our desires can get misplaced. Sometimes our desires can get out of place, misplaced, and make a wrong turn, go down the wrong road. And so if there's one thing that is driving us, and it's something that's not good for us, but we've let it, we've allowed it to be the driver in a car, God says, keep praying, keep asking, and either he's going to answer or he'll change the desire. And then secondly, I wonder if this morning if any of us have our own Ishmael. What is our own Ishmael? Well, our own Ishmael is what mistakes have I forced in life because I wasn't willing to wait? You know what's interesting about this Ishmael? Have you ever heard of the Muslim religion? Guess where it comes from? Ishmael! Have you ever heard of Saudi Arabia? Guess who is, those people are? They came from Ishmael. His brothers. Ishmael had a half-brother. His name was Isaac. He was born a few years down the road from this story. You know who hates the Jewish people? <sighs> Ishmael. Sarah's little Ishmael. And Abram's. Because it takes two to tango. Right? It wasn't just all Sarah's fault. Abram's fault, too, because he said yes. They brought a little life into this world. This little life that they brought into the world. Or well, really, three of them, really, because Sarah, Abram, and Hagar, the three of them had something to do with it in this story. This life that they brought in to this day, his descendants, they hate the descendants of Isaac, Abram's other son. They have not stopped fighting since this day. The half-brothers and their descendants on hate each other 
From Isaac comes the faith, the Jewish religion, Christianity. From Ishmael comes the religion of Muslim. And these guys hate each other. And you know what the thing is for them to kill each other, to blow themselves up? They feel like they're going on to a better place. There is so much hate and murder and gross things that have come from what? One bad choice. And so this morning, remember, we're asking ourselves, if I was to agree with or feel like anything in this story, remember, is there one thing that's driving me right now? Number two, I wonder if any of our Ishmael mistakes are driving me. I wonder if any of my past shame and guilt is driving me and forcing me in my way. I wonder if I'm at a point in my life where I'm just tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting for this answer. I'm tired of waiting for this. I'm tired of waiting for this. I'm going to force my way. I'm going to force me to do something. I'm going to force my way in here. I'm going to force my way out of here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I need to create my own Ishmael. Number three, is there any promise of God that I'm just waiting for? Any promise from him? Like Sarah, who waited 10 years to this point, that I just feel like I'm waiting for and I haven't got yet. How many promises are there? If you read the Bible, do you know there's over 8,000 promises? If you read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, 8,000 promises. Elbow your neighbor and say, that's a lot. That's a lot of promises. What are the promises? Well, let me give you a few real quick. God will redeem and he'll save those who believe. Eternity, forgiveness, deliverance, healing. God will always keep his promise. He is a promise keeper. Maybe not in our timing, but he is a promise keeper. God created us. God knows us. God chose us. God is always with us. God never forgets us. God watches over us, keeps us safe from harm. God has plans to prosper us. God gives us hope. God gives us strength. God helps me every single day. God fights my battles. God rewards me for doing right. God teaches. He guides. He leads me. God is my hiding place. God is a place of refuge. God will always provide a way out of temptation. God will comfort me, and God will keep me in peace. God exalts the humble, those who say, God, I'm not above anybody. God, you are my God. God exalts the humble. God will meet all of our needs. God gives us rest. God will always forgive us when we confess our sin. God gives us victory over death when we accept Jesus into our life. Over 8,000 promises that are in the Bible, things that God promises and God wants to do for you. And you could take a step back this morning and say, okay, I hear those promises, and some of those sound fine and dandy and just like candy, right? Just like a Jolly Rancher, a little sweet, sour, wonderful thing. But I don't feel like I've gotten one of them. I don't feel like any of those applied to me and ever applied to me. And I know people, bad things have happened. And here's at the end of the day, this is, what, this is where the rubber meets the road. Does God truly want to bring harm on people? No. Does God give us warning when bad things are coming? Yes. But guess what? Bad things happen because we don't listen. Bad things happen because we don't listen. So then who can we blame? A lot of people blame God. When bad things happen, we blame God. It's all his fault. God put me here. God did this. No, 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 no. I didn't listen. I didn't listen very well. 
And so the promises of God, he offers to everybody. But here's the second thing that gets dangled. It's to only those who believe and follow. God doesn't play favorites, though. You know what? He likes me just as much as he likes you, just as much as the person who's walking down Florida with their pants down to their kneecaps. God likes every single person on this planet the same. He has no favorites. But the evil will not be rewarded for doing evil. You know what reward they're going to get? Hell. They're going to get rewarded with hell. You want to choose evil? You want to choose darkness? You want to choose to be rebellious? You want to choose to do wrong things? You will be rewarded with hell. But if you would like the promises of God this morning, all over 8,000 promises that he has for you, you have to choose to believe and follow and all of these promises open up to you. And we can't blame and we can't get angry. What happened in this story when things didn't go right? Sarah, it's all Abram's fault. But was it all Abram's fault or was it a little bit of her own fault? Eh, she had a plan, right? We have to stop blaming everyone and God if something isn't right and say, maybe it's because I didn't listen. I wonder this morning, are any of us not listening to where God wants us to? So remember, we're asking ourselves five things. Do I, do I, do I agree? Do I, do I feel like I'm in any one of these situations where one thing's driving me, where my Ishmael, my past mistake, maybe it's bigger and I just can't deal with it. Thirdly, is there any promise, God, that, that I think you should have met a long time ago? And maybe number four, maybe we're asking ourselves, how long do I keep on Waiting. How long do I keep on waiting? And really, honestly, the Bible says, however long it takes. However long it takes. Isaiah 40, 28, one of the greatest verses in the Bible says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the earth, neither faints. God is not weary. God's understanding, unsearchable. God gives power to the weak, to those who have no might. He increases strength. Because even young people faint and get weary, and young men will fall. But only those who wait on the Lord will find strength. And only those who wait on the Lord are going to mount up with wings and fly like an eagle. They're going to run and not be weary. They're going to walk and not be faint. We're not going to ever get and find what we're looking for in life until we learn to wait on God. There's just situations God is trying to teach us and help us to see how to wait. How long do I keep on waiting? However long it takes. God will answer you. Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. God will answer. And number five, what did Hagar say to the angel? He's the God who sees me. Three out of four people today don't feel like they belong. 60% of adults and Americans feel lonely and disconnected. 47% of people feel left out. One out of four feel like no one understands me. Rejected. I'm insignificant. Life doesn't matter. I'm overlooked. I have a problem. My title today, turn your neighbor, unseen. And I wonder how many of us have ever felt unseen. No one sees me. Nobody cares. I'm mistreated. I'm despised. And some of us this morning say, you know what? 
I don't care. I like feel like I'm on the scene. I'm like invisible. I'm like an invisible man. Unnoticed, unconnected, isolated. People who feel unseen are people who feel like I'm not noticed, I'm not connected, and I'm isolated. To those people who feel like they are seen, they feel like they're, they're more understood. When they feel like they're seen, I have a human basic need that is met. Trust, connection. I feel like I can flourish better because I am unseen. I mean, because I'm seen. But this morning, our story isn't about somebody who was seen. She was seen at the end. But our story is about a lady who felt unseen for most of her life. And there are people in here today, and there's people all around the world who feel unseen. And so we start to wrap up this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to one last story, Matthew 17, verse 1. As we look at Hagar, and before we get into our last text, Hagar was a woman who was forced into marriage. Hagar was a woman who was forced to carry a son for somebody else. Hagar was forced into this life. It's not something that she got to choose. It was chosen for her because of who she worked for, because of who she worked for. This person, so many challenges in life. Did she have the best attitude? Probably not at times, right? How many of you ever feel forced into something and had a good attitude about it? Let's be honest. How many times when you're forced into something, what are we going to do? We're going to pout, be angry, and we're going to make sure everyone knows we're not happy, right? When I'm forced. Man, when I was a little kid and I was forced to church, that's how I was, right? When I was forced to do things I didn't want to do at school, I wasn't nice to the teacher, I'm sure all of you were nice to the teacher, but I wasn't nice to the teacher if they forced me to do something I want to do. We as people, when we feel forced, that's when our real attitude comes out. That's when the character of your heart comes out. When you're forced to do something, your character shines at that moment. And can we, can I, can you, can we, will our character outshine the person who's forcing us to do something we want to do? Hagar in the story was forced into marriage. Into, and think about it. She's probably in her 20s. She had, to, she had to be with a guy who was 85 years old, right? And that still happens today because we all know there's a lot of people who are gold diggers. But that wasn't the case here. She wasn't gold digging. She was forced into this thing. She was forced. Horrible situation. Save your Bibles, Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, led them up the high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shined, shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses, Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, isn't this wonderful for us to be here? If you want, I'm going to make three shelters, memorials, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy listen to him do you know at this time there was 12 disciples only three disciples only three were able to go up to the mountain Peter, James and John and I know from the Bible 
if you read it begin to end, it wasn't because they were more muscular and fit than the other guys. It wasn't because they were better dressed or came from a wealthy family. I know that in their heart, what is God, the number one thing God looks for? Somebody with a heart. These three men, they went with Jesus, three out of 12, willing to hike up the mountain. We have no idea how big it is. Could be, could be Mount Everest. They climbed, they walked. And when they got there, they saw something that nine other disciples, they didn't get to see. When they got up to the mountain, nine men, they heard something that the nine other disciples didn't get to hear. And so there's a difference today in our world with people. And it's for the people who are willing to listen. It's for the people who are willing to get to the mountain. It's for the people who want and are desiring to see the promises of God fulfilled, to see miracles for people who are desiring and wanting to know. This mountain is a special place. This mountain is a special place. Peter, James, and John got to hear God speak audibly and say, this is my son who I love. Why do we have so many people who feel unseen today? Why do we have so many people who are lonely and anxious and depressed and feel like they don't belong and I'm insignificant, I'm rejected? Because not enough of us are on the mountain. If we're not on the mountain, we don't know how to encourage somebody who's not on the mountain either. If we can't help ourselves because I'm not spending enough time on the mountain with my God and my creator, I'm not going to be good enough to help somebody else who isn't as well. And then if we're not on the mountain, we're not hearing that voice that says, you are my son, you are my daughter. Yes, these are the words we all want to hear. I love you. This is what God said about Jesus. This is my son, Jesus. I love him. Listen to him. And as you spend time in the mountain, you're going to hear something from God as well. God is going to speak something very specific into your heart, mind, and soul. If you go to the mountain, if you're willing to walk, if you're willing to read the Bible, if you're willing to sing and lift up your hands in worship, if you're willing to pray and close your eyes or pray with your eyes open and walk around and talk and speak to God who is the creator that we can't see, if you're willing to walk up the mountain, like Peter, James, and John, you will hear something and you will see something that nobody else is. And that, number one, is cool in itself. It is. When you hear God speak, when you feel God's presence, and it is the strongest thing that you could ever feel in life to the max, and then plus, to max again, the mountain, there's nothing like it. And I can't be a good man, and I can't be a good husband, and I can't be a good father, and I can't be a good friend, I can't be a good pastor if I'm not on the mountain. But you know what? Life's not about me. It's not. It's really not. Life's about us. And it takes me, and it takes you, and it takes all of us learning to walk up that mountain. See, I'm the type of person who in the old days we've had some changes in Christianity. 
And, and how many of us know, you know, when you were given an opportunity to have a little power, you know, a little title, sometimes we take advantage of power and titles. And so there's been men, there's been women who have abused the power that God's given them. And if you're going to hear from God, you can only hear from me. Baloney, fried baloney, let's put a little American cheese on it. There's been men who say you can only hear the word of the Lord if it comes from me. I'm special. I got special ears. I'm the only one who hears. Baloney. The best thing I can do is I've learned how to listen to God is help you learn how to listen to God as well. Because I'm not always going to be with you, nor do I want to be. No offense, right? Nor do you want to be with me 24-7 either. But the minute you leave here, the minute you live this week, the number one thing you need is learning to listen. And it only happens one way. Got to get up the mountain. And why? Because if I'm not up there, I'm no good for myself. And you know what? I'm just no good for anybody else either. Last week we talked about maybe life and maybe this moment. It's learning to see from a different point of view. And if we were to fly up in the airplane this morning, how many of us know that when you get in an airplane, it's so fun. You hear the engines turn on and you hear the whole plane shake a little bit and you start to take off and you can feel wind and you can hear the sound of air above your head. And then as you're taking off, how many of us, houses, hospitals, towers, buildings that used to look so big, the higher I get, what? They look so tiny. The longer we spend apart from God, things just downhill, they go backwards quickly. And it just gets worse. It just gets worse. God's calling us to a different point of view. God's calling us to his mountain because our world is lost, broken, confused. And honestly, they don't need me. They need you. Your world needs you. Your world needs you. Your people, they need you. Just like they need us. God alone sees you, just like he saw Hagar in our story today. God alone truly knows you. No matter how long you've been in a relationship and no matter how many friends you have and how long you've been best friends and BFFs, it's only God who truly knows you. It's only God who loves you, hears you, and he has a plan and a purpose for you this morning. God alone sees, knows, loves, hears, plans, purpose, and he has a word that he wants to say to you. God has something that he wants to say to you. And God invites you this morning. God invites you. This, it's God inviting you, saying, just come up to the mountain. I'm waiting for you. 